Welcome back to liveanimated.com. Let's learn something new. I have a really hilarious person with me oh uh, who I have found to be a joy to work with and a great problem solver. We have Ryan Farmer here with us. What's up, man? Hey, uh, thanks so much for having me on. That was very, very humbling. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. No problem. So what we're going to do, um, we're going to be talking to Ryan about what he does in the industry, how long he's been in the industry, and then go back into the past and how he got started into games. And if this is something that he knew he was going to get into off the jump, we're going to go right into uh, his background right now. He's a tools and automation engineer currently. What does a tools and automation engineer do? What does your day-to-day -day look like? Yeah, so... Uh Maybe a little bit better, better way to describe my title. I am a tools and automation engineer, uh, but I'm also a DevOps engineer. So a lot of what I'm doing is really going to be more on uh, backend infrastructure, tooling for our services, uh, and automating as much as humanly possible. Uh, I also fall into the role of administration uh, for a lot of the services that we're running, for example, Perforce. Um, uh, on a day-to-day, -day, we're looking at uh, doing... Uh, sorry, uh... Well, I know day to day, uh, you're the type of person that if a problem comes up within our programs, our tools, something's not working, I, I go to you if, if not to Nate. So uh, I don't know if that's the appropriate, but you always seem to have the answer to help out um, to make sure everything is running smooth. Um, but I know you have more responsibilities than that. But yeah. Right, right. And you, you see me doing a lot of firefighting, and that's something that I'm, I'm traditionally very used to. Uh, a lot of previous positions that I've held, I've done... I fall into that firefighter role. Uh, generally, I have I have my task of things to do, like uh, upgrading the engine or writing a tool to help increase productivity for our designers or to help automate this task that somebody's doing repetitively or even just automate stuff that I do repetitively. And that's throughout the studio, right? Or is that just per project usually for what your title is? Uh, for my title, I'm supposed to be uh, on a single game. So I'm, supposed to, I'm only supposed to be working for one okay. game. But... Uh, I have a bad habit of trying to write all of my services and tools to be as cross-platform, as cross-team, as cross-game as humanly possible. So that way, if I write something useful, somebody else can use it. Yeah, and I think it makes it better for the studio because everybody's on the same tools or on the same uh, process mm -hmm. and pipeline instead of you know, having multiple things and now you have to cater and, and manage multiple things. Maybe things you didn't even come up with is certain things that other projects will want to use. So yeah, that could be time consuming. Right, and there's a lot of services that are very similar logging infrastructure. It's the same. Uh, our, our launcher that we use, it's the, the game launches the same way. The build system is pretty much identical for both games with just minor modifications for each of them. Uh, it's are, you, are you on a team of one? Is it just you or are there multiple people that you work with? Me, my team of DevOps engineers, which is me, myself, and I. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's just me right now. Uh, mm -hmm. We are looking at getting one more plus one uh, very soon. So um, trying to grow the team, maybe establish ourselves as a shared service between games and start uh, growing it so that way for future games, we actually have uh, a team of people that are dedicated to being able to migrate all the services to that game to help kick it off really fast. Are DevOps teams usually large or are they really catered towards those uh, lone star like individuals that can like do so many things and you kind of keep the team small? You mostly see DevOps teams, especially in the gaming industry, to be a lot more uh, efficient, small. Uh, and they you really want one person per game at least so that way they can cater to that game specifically. That's why we've run into a couple of issues with our games. I am one person split between two teams. Mm -hmm. And sometimes someone's like, oh, I need help over here. And it's like, oh no, I have to go to game one first. I'm so sorry. 
Uh, well, you're doing a great job, man. Oh, thank you. I don't think anybody's <laughs> complaining about anything. So what we're going to do is we're going to go way back. We're going to go way back. Back to when you started your education. And the, the closest that we have is uh, Mariah Costa. Is that saying? Mira Costa Community Costa College. Costa. We have had a lot of people that started community college. I mean, it's these times, it's really good to get your GE out of the way, general education classes out of the way, and then just start going. But what has what uh, led you to go to the college of choice? Um, and did you know you want to be DevOps or work with tools from the get-go? Um, I hope you don't mind me going even back further in time. All right. Uh, back uh, right after high school, 2009, I went to, uh, graduated high school, of course, and went to Sonoma State University to become an architect. Mm. I wanted to... I like for a building, for like buildings or for architect within the digital space of like games and stuff like that? Uh, it was going to be more in buildings like Frank Lloyd Wright, for example. Uh, that joke's on me because I'm still an architect. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> um, so I went to school at Sonoma State University for about a year and realized that that's not what I wanted to do and that I wasn't ready for college. Uh, when I came back to San Diego, I went ahead and applied to Miracosta Community College and started looking into other things I might be interested in. So at that time- Are you I from actually, California? Yeah, born and raised in San Diego. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I have had a background of liking computers, no programming background, uh, but I really liked working and tinkering with computers. I've been using Linux. Uh, for at this point, like 14 years. So uh, I knew that I had some interest in programming, or not programming, but computers, and I went ahead and took my first computer science class at Miracosta Community College. Hmm. Uh, of course, my initial interest is video games. Uh, I go in there like, I'm going to learn how to make games, and that was that was number one, what I was going to do. And I said my my number one goal do not become a web developer. That was, <laughs> that was all I wanted was not to be a web developer. Don't know why, I, need, I can't remember why I didn't want that, but uh, uh, as we will talk, uh, my I didn't get to stick to that plan. Uh, did you teach yourself uh, Linux like back in the day or did you take courses or how did you go to that as your operating system of choice? A lot of people either go Mac or um, PC. like. I don't have the best excuse. I remember seeing a video on YouTube of somebody using something called Compass Fusions, which is uh, something you can get on uh, uh, Linux as a window manager. And the things I was looking at were uh, something called wobbly windows and uh, different animations for when you close out of the windows. And I was just mm -hmm. like, this looks so cool. I want to have a desktop cube for multiple desktops, all this functionality. and. Uh, Downloaded, installed, it got it working on my computers, and I just never went back. Hmm. Uh, I only use I use nowadays. It's you know much different. I'm in the enterprise world. I'm trying to be professional. I got Windows on my desktop. Got my MacBook Pro, and all the servers that are run uh, at home and in the cloud are all Linux. Hmm. That's awesome. And you set that up all by yourself, like currently at home, or did you have any help setting up all that to have all that automation at home work for you as well? Uh, most of the stuff I do is independent. Hmm. I like to tinker, I like to explore, I like to learn new things. Uh, one of our principles that we have had a, like a fundamental uh, concepts that we try to apply to ourselves in our group uh, in engineering is to learn and be curious, always learn and be curious. Uh, my boss uh, really likes to express that is extremely important and it's something that I've carried throughout my entire uh, career, if you will. That's good, that's good. Uh, when you were at college, did they have any courses geared towards 
gaming in general or was it um more ge classes and and electives that you could just like focus on they didn't really have any video game programs or like programming programs for video games or anything like that there were no game programming classes okay. uh i had my share of g's just just as i like i had we had to do it mm -hmm. taking this speech and Money. english and yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah you gotta do it um but there were computer science classes uh cs 111 through 13 it's a uh, beginner intermediate data structure architecture types uh compilers and assembly language um so i took some classes on c plus mobile development back when android was super hot uh it's still, it's still hot sorry yeah, android <laughs> is good it's the best. It's the best. <laughs> um so i got a lot of the bulk of my experience there uh and uh i kind of took that experience that I got there and applied it to different things that I had. I'd ask friends that had occupations at different companies. Hey, can I write a piece of software for you? Hey, can I automate some, oops, oh, you're fine. Uh, some meaningless task that you have to do that you don't like? And a lot of my friends were like, oh my gosh, I do this thing every day that I just really could use uh, some automation with. And uh, that's kind of where I guess automation started. I just realized that I really liked taking redundant tasks and simplifying it to push this button or don't push this button, it runs on its own kind nice. of thing. It's like being the controller. You're in control of everything that happens. The conductor of like sorts, The conductor. Right? I don't want yeah. to say the controller, but the conductor. I helped, yeah. I helped guide things yeah. in the right direction to kind of uh, autonomously do their thing. That's awesome. Let's go back to, um, you went right from <laughs> education going into uh, a sales associate. So what, what happened there? Did you have a, a change of heart? Were you looking for a job in the games industry? Did you even know you want to get in the games industry yet, even though you want to make video games? Did you, a lot of people want to be indie. Um, so you were a sales associate for three years. What, what happened there after graduating? And so uh, actually, I, went, I worked at that pet store when I was going to school. Oh, okay. So you, you put yourself through school? Or yep. was it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I put myself through school. Uh, uh, again, it was a community college. I could I could afford it, mm -hmm. um, and the pet store was just kind of the thing that I really liked to do. I I was just coming out of Sonoma State University. I just realized that architecture isn't what I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. It may be a hobby, uh, and I'm going to Miracosta Community College while well, going to the pet store uh, just to get back on that. Uh, uh, did I want to do gameplay programming from the beginning? Mm -hmm. uh, I. I knew that it was some, somewhere deep inside. I wanted to do it. I've been playing video games since I was two years old mm -hmm. been uh, kicking my dad's butt since I was three. Uh, and I just knew that I had to do something with games. Uh, you know, my, my parents are always like video games will never get you anywhere. And now I'm the one laughing. Ha <laughs> 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 um, it's funny, but, uh, yeah, no, the, the pet store was just kind of like a, Gotta gotta make money when you're learning, I guess. No, that's good. That's awesome. That shows that you're a responsible person. Oh man, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so you went from sales associate to IT specialist at the Harris Group Technology Service. Uh, you were there for three years and eleven months again in San Diego. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what your responsibilities were there? Sure. Yeah. So I actually did that uh, asynchronously with working at the pet store and going to school. Uh, so I got to work with good Sir Sean Harris. He is a, a wonderful gentleman who. Uh, who I, I bothered, he came to the pet store and I was talking to him, asking some questions about some home automation I was trying to do. I was trying to set up uh, like Arduinos and motors to go ahead and like like automatically roll my blind curtains and uh, un unlock my door and lock it uh, over Wi-Fi. 
uh, back before you know it was mainstream there wasn't any third party thing you could buy kind of had to make it yourself using like servos uh so this is this was like pre-raspberry pi or something this like that, is pre-raspberry pi oh hi not not much before but it was pre-raspberry pi oh, hi. Uh, so using like zigbee protocols to uh go ahead and have uh, lightweight uh efficient uh, wireless data transfer inside mm-hmm. a small area it was that's cool super fun so i asked him those questions and he was like what are you again what are you what are you doing I was like, oh, we're going to pet store. <laughs> Hooray. Uh, and he asked if I wanted to do some work with him. Uh, so this was actually very interesting. It was freelance IT. And we did it together. He was kind of the one that scouted out the jobs. And then we'd kind of go places he would send me. Or I'd find a job, I'd go take it. Or we'd go somewhere together. It was uh, like an apprenticeship almost, right? Yeah. No, it was like, that was like my, I think that was my first big boy job. Uh, but went to a lot of interesting places. Uh, it really did just anything. Uh like we went to, um, goodness gracious, what was that? It was like the Padre Stadium, the baseball uh, stadium, San Diego. I just, I'm not sure. I'm not, <laughs> forgive me. This uh, is not a quiz. You're uh, okay. 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 Good. Uh, where we're installing all of the wireless charging units and charging boxes in the stadium. Hmm. And so we like we get to go there before uh, the stadium's open and install all of these tables and. Uh, units in the walls and it's very fun i got to go on the baseball field all myself i probably shouldn't have but it was very cool um one of the perks yeah one of the perks of being in that stadium all by yourself uh i got to do it's a lot of like uh, cable dropping data mining uh like pulling cables out and we got to sell them which is nice for copper copper recycling plants you make a mm-hmm. pretty good money back then that's pretty cool. I think people still make good money off of ripping copper out and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. I was paid so, to do it and I got to sell it. Yeah, that's crazy. So are you saying that Copper. The wires were going through copper piping. Yeah. So all the Ethernet cables. So when you have like a, an office building, uh, you have to set up a lot of the uh, cabling inside the building to go ahead and get Ethernet wired Ethernet to each of the uh, the, the units. So if you had like a bunch of people out of like desks, you want to have dropped cables over there. So uh, one of the tasks that I do is that somebody would come into uh, purchasing a location and they want to rip out all of the old cabling and replace it with new cabling. And so we'd be able to go there, take it all out shove it in my little Honda Civic, and then drop all new cable. So that way we can make sure that it's the right number of lines. Um, there's no problem because a lot of times we'll pull cables and we'll see like a rat's nest of like knotted, uh, cut, chewed Just through. poor craftsmanship of the last people who put it in. Yeah, either poor craftsmanship or just like, like maybe like rodents uh, just kind of messing things up. And so we just kind of straightened it up, cleaned it up, new like going from like cat five to cat six if necessary whatever the client wanted so we did a lot of that um now wait i've seen those i've seen that bundled up when people drop in new lines and wires and stuff like that but i didn't know they went through uh copper yeah yeah it's all copper cabling it's like the blue cable yeah yeah, yeah. You see like like a uh, forgive me if this is inappropriate, but uh, that's like a Reddit cable porn <laughs> no uh, that's totally fine <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful subreddit where it shows magnificent uh cabling job it's like beautifully done yeah i've I've seen i've seen people actually do that on the job and i'm like wow that's that took some time but it works well it takes takes some time if you want to do it well and uh, i actually really like doing that that was a lot of fun especially when you have like this this this, just one tube of just the cable just like dropping down into the server room yeah it's just everything lines up perfectly that's awesome but those those rooms have to stay like super cold right Uh, a lot of uh, data centers will have ac units to go and keep them cool Mm. Some don't. Yeah, that's fine. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, future Ryan actually got to work in uh, right next to the data center in Daybreak Games, mm. and uh, that one, uh, if the AC unit wasn't on, 
it, that could jump up to over 130 degrees air temperature, just ambient air temperature. And that's when stuff just starts shutting off and stuff, right? Things start melting, yeah. Hmm, that's crazy. It's hot. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. So um, you, just, you did this for three years. So it was you and one other person, and you guys, um, it was like uh, entrepreneurship. You just, he found the work, and you guys just went out and... Yeah, small businessy. We just kind of, I guess, not more entrepreneurship. He, we just found the jobs, and it was all over Southern California. So we went everywhere. That's awesome. Um, down from Los Americas up to like Long Beach, Palm Desert, Palm Springs. Just it was whatever, whatever there was work, and I just kind of did that when I had time between pet store and school. Now, in doing that, did you learn on the job for that for that role you had, or did the things you did in college prepare you a little bit for it at all? It was 100% on, on the job. It's uh, Sean taught me what what I could like this. <laughs> Forgive me for laughing. It's a uh, like I learned how to drive a scissor lift on my own. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's cool. What's uh, what's a scissor lift? Uh, I don't know what that is. So you know, uh, it's like those carts that have the uh, so like you want to reach something on the ceiling, right? Okay. Uh, so it's a little cart. You hop in it, and it extends out this way. Oh, does it have like the thing that's like this and they just keep yeah, accordion as, like... It's an accordion up. and you just go up and then you do the thing in the ceiling gotcha, and you drop gotcha. it down. Okay. Yeah, I had a lot of fun learning how to drive that. That's uh, awesome. I got to learn how to drive forklifts and stuff. <laughs> that's cool. That's um, awesome. Had a lot of fun, but yeah, Sean taught me uh, most of what I had to do there. He was a really good mentor in making sure that I was good at what I did. And we had a lot of fun together too. So that was that bonus. That's awesome. Let's go back to uh, what you worked on next. You went from IT specialist to lead web developer. You said you didn't want to be a web developer early on. I, I remember you said that. So, yeah, what happened there? You were only there for 11 months, not even a full year in San Diego Web Solution. So, yes, SD um, Web Solution. It okay. was Web Solution without the S at the end because the domain name was taken. That's hilarious. Um, so what happened there? I mean, like, you already proclaimed earlier in our conversation that you didn't want to be a web developer. What what? Why didn't you want to be a web developer? Web development now is like huge, like uh, especially it's pretty hot, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's, it's a very lucrative field to be in. But why didn't you want to go into web development back in the day? So uh, I guess like uh, amongst peers, while I was in school, there was kind of a native connotation with people who became web developers. Like they were in what real. way? What do you mean? I'm not following you because uh, I don't think. When I was in school, nobody was even talking about, oh, man, I want to be a web developer. It wasn't even like that. So please explain. I want to know. Right. I guess back when I was learning Java and C++ and Python, uh, web development was very it was not really popular at the time. Like there was a lot of, it was PHP, HTML, a little bit of JavaScript, and a little bit of It CSS. was kind of in its infancy still, right? Uh, I mean, like not infancy, but what was, was the last system? Was It wasn't Netscape and AOL. Like what was the big thing was when still you like, went? Alta Vista, Chrome was okay. still that's in still use. yeah that's yeah. new that was okay it was it was new it wasn't like you know current where you have like Angular, Vue.js, React, and exactly. people learn frameworks before they learn JavaScript. Oh, right. it's, it's horrible now. So you didn't want to do it because uh, there was, a, it was just like a negative connotation around mm -hmm. what you became if you did web development. They were like uh, we'd spread. Uh, it was unkind words regarding uh, people calling themselves programmers when they made websites and like uh, like I know HTML therefore I'm a programmer so there was that and it's like a, having a knowing a scripting language you're not a programmer so it was really there was like a way to be a programmer and if you didn't do it that way then others looked down upon you it was very judgmental mm. uh, and I was very afraid of falling into that category of being judged you mean of being judged I don't want to okay. be a, a scrubby web developer um, 
and still it, it happened. I uh, started learning PHP. I started learning about uh, backend programming. Did you enjoy it? Was it once you actually sat down and was like, huh, let me do this, were you like, oh, my God, this is not only easy, but it's fun? Yeah, I remember uh, I had my very first um, – like a socket communication between Python and the Python uh, client and a PHP server, which uh, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, that's pretty heinous. Uh, <laughs> and I remember having a, so it was a, I had like RGB LED strips. This is like almost a decade ago. Uh, RGB LED strips around my couch, around my coffee table, around my desk, around my computer, around my TV. And I wanted to remotely uh, control it like the RGB LEDs from my phone. And so I set up uh, a PHP script that I was calling whenever I move my thumb over an RGB wheel to go ahead and set the color of the LEDs. And I got to do that over... That you wrote? Did you write the script? Yeah. Or did you find it online or something? Or Yeah, I wrote it. I'm okay. kind of going through documentation for PHP. PHP is a pretty easy language to learn. Hmm. Um, and so I had uh, Python was my backend. PHP was also my backend but that was the only way I knew how to communicate from a web client to a backend and then I only knew how to control the RGB LEDs with Python this is the when I first started learning how to write code and I remember how excited I was to do I was like oh man it's network programming N not really but it's it felt like it <laughs> that's awesome and yeah right after that I started uh, working with a, a, a really good friend his name was uh, Daniel Khajapur and uh he came to America and wanted to the American dream. And so he was Mr. Entrepreneur and starting businesses and doing that. And uh, I remember uh, when I met him, we were paintballing and he's like, there's something, something different about you. Uh, can we, can we get coffee or something? And I was like, sure, why not? And so we started talking he's like, I want to do this. I want to have a web business and I think we can make a lot of money. And I was like, ah, it's maybe time for me to start making some more money. Uh, so. I joined him in his venture to uh, make websites for clients, uh, WordPress, Magento, uh, Shopify, OpenCart, uh, whatever uh, framework the client wanted or whatever we thought was best. And Is he still doing that now? No. Uh, actually, uh, shortly after I left SD Web Solution, the company got purchased as uh, he started working on a content management system and PHP. And it actually, we'd, he had switched over clients from WordPress to his content management system. And they just couldn't look back. They said it was just so much better than using any of the other platforms. And so instead of like having like letting him make it big, they bought him. Yeah. And like I'm, I'm super happy for him. That's that awesome. was that was awesome. And so he kind of did some management role over there. And now he's kind of doing more entrepreneurial stuff and uh, yeah. living a good life. That's cool. Did you go to uh, Camp Pendleton when you guys played uh, paintball? This was um, Temecula. Okay. Uh, uh, jungle forest or no shoot what is it i think the thing was just called the jungle hmm. uh, up in temecula and <laughs> really hot but that's where we would go paintballing every once in a while well i didn't know i didn't know one was there uh, the only one i went to was uh camp Pendleton, and then there was another one i want to say near costa mesa or it starts with a c or something i don't know i don't remember something valley or something village something like that valley sounds familiar but uh something. i can't think of it off the top of my head yeah oh well it's paintball. Uh, <laughs> let's get it. So, so you did you had when you worked uh, as a web developer? Now, were you using things that you learned in college mostly, or 
when you got into this position because you got in as a lead how many people were on your team was it just you and the guy it or was, yeah. was this was this a title grab <laughs> so you so this, this was a title grab okay. this was uh, me and my uh my friend David Hansaport and yeah. we just kind of worked together and he's like what do you what do you want your title to be <laughs> it was, like, yeah, it was <laughs> like he was CEO I was CTO you know yeah, yeah. it's uh, no, that's cool um we worked with some outsourced uh, uh individuals yeah uh, Brazil and India and we we're able to kind of scale it that way that's but cool. you know we send out our emails we have like our office pictures where we rented an office for a week to, to take photos <laughs> to take photos like that's us drinking awesome. coffee and like yeah. there's nothing in the cup um, you know it's pretty bad that's pretty hilarious um but you guys made it successful and so did he get purchased after the 11 months you were there yeah there's a couple months that's afterwards. awesome yeah and he, he did most of the work on the cms on, oh, on his own uh I, i'm i'm I wish I was uh, could have been part of that adventure, but uh, I had left because I had another opportunity that I was interested in pursuing. Nice. Is that the next opportunity on the <gasps> list? Which is oh, that's the Petco animal. No, is it that one? It's not that one. So is uh, this is this out of order? It's not out of order. Okay. So uh, you wanted to continue so your career, your side your night job of I did all I did the pet store at the same time as everything else that I was doing but you uh, became the dog and cat department manager now. I nice. did nice. events and more petting dogs and cats oh, I, I that's it. awesome I have a uh, soft so spot this, for animals this was your this was your side hustle then yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> so pet, <laughs> petco is your side hustle yeah oh, so you it. you stayed on as a sales associate and then moved into uh the department manager mm-hmm that's awesome. Same is it the same company? So pet people got purchased. It was actually okay. an independently owned pet store. It's a holistic pet food store, so no corn wheat soy, artificial flavoring, artificial products of any kind. And a lot of them are doing that now. Like I think uh, Petco just uh, they had some announcement where they took everything off the shelves if it had any artificial something or artificial flavors. Yeah, it's, it. it's super common. Uh, they noticed that. Uh, so they started a new brand of mm-hmm. Petco called Unleashed, and mm-hmm. Unleashed was really mimicking what pet people was uh, not specifically pet people but like uh, independent pets food stores that were like that uh, because people were really interested in providing the best health for their dogs and cats mm-hmm. that they possibly could and uh, i was super behind it i loved it i really and i still to this day really enjoy talking shop with people That's like awesome. oh what are you feeding your dog what are you feeding your cat what uh, should we be feeding our dog and cats do you even know right now uh you know if you have a a uh, healthy dog, healthy skin and coat, wet nose, they're happy, wagging their tail, then you're doing a good job. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so w- when you were still working there at the the pet store, do you still do that on the side now? Oh, or no, at I, all? Or? I, I have, last time I worked as a sales associate or had a uh, an hourly uh, rate going for anything was uh, August, I think that, that was that like last time right there, August 2014. Okay. Before going to Prismic or 3D product imaging. Now, wait, I want to stay here for a little bit. So (laughs) did you, while all the time you were doing this, did you have any pets yourself? Or did you just, you know, enjoy the pets that were at the store and keep them happy and play with them? That was my happy place. So I did that while going to school, while doing 3D product imaging. imaging. I did that while doing SD Web Solution. So SD Web Solution, um, working with Sean Harris, pet store, and, and any side project that I could try to find. Uh, I remember trying to start a video game development company with some friends, mm-hmm. making a game called Regalia Reach, and uh, using Java in the lightweight Java game library, as we called it, Logical, mm-hmm. and uh, put a lot of time into that. But I knew that I always had one place that I could go to, uh, and that place was the pet store. That's awesome. 
Sounds like a, a great stress relief too, to be able to go there and just decompress. Yes, excellent. You know, people that like their dogs, uh, that care for their animals, they're friends of mine. That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. So now we're going to Prismic. Is that how you say that? Prismic. Prismic. And that's in Seattle. So you moved from California to go to Seattle or did you work remote? I dropped everything. I dropped everything. The the pet store, SD Web Solution. Was this the calling? Was this like, I did it. I did it. I'm there. Is this Uh, this the position that you felt that way? Uh, My friend, a a childhood friend of mine. Okay. Uh, he graduated college. Mm-hmm. He was looking for something to do and met some goofy characters uh, up in Seattle as mm-hmm. uh, he went to school up there and uh, started uh, doing an internship at this startup, uh, 3D Product Imaging, which ended up turning into Prismic. Hmm. And uh, he had talked to his mom who talks to my mom who knows the thing or two about what I'm doing. And uh, he called me one day and said, like, hey, I heard you're doing VR programming stuff. And I was like, uh, occasionally, I had an o- the first Oculus Rift, uh, DK1, and I'd been dabbling in Unity. I was bad, but I was dabbling, and I let him know that. And he's like, "Ah, well, I have some uh, some people that want to meet you, and like, uh, you know, we're doing a startup thing. We're looking for another developer to kind of help on with this product." And I was like, "Super cool!" Uh, so I fly up to Seattle, uh, knowing that I might just, for the first time in my entire life, move out of San Diego into a new state, new city, new people, new weather. Uh, was that first flight that was for the interview that was or was interview. that just, okay. Yeah, that was for the interview. It was one week up there. So I got to hang out with my friend, meet the people who work at the company. Uh, we, uh, we had like a one day interview where kind of going through and implementing, uh, they're looking at like their backend infrastructure mm-hmm. and uh, just trying to expand their API and they didn't know what I could do and they didn't know how to test me and I didn't know how I was supposed to be tested. And so I kind of showed them like, look, here's something that I could do really quickly. Here's like a authentication portal. And this is like the backend API for our authentication and logging in. Now API, what is that for people who may be interested in Um, getting into that and don't know what that is? What is that? So you have uh, API um, and uh, APIs are something that you can have front end and back end. So uh, most people will understand APIs knowing them as REST APIs or RESTful APIs, something that you can call uh, um, over the web. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember the, the acronym because I, I, I always say API, but I never say what it actually is. I believe it's uh, Application Programming Interface. Uh, but it's essentially an interface for you to uh, retrieve some functionality, retrieve some data. So sometimes it's like get this data or set this data. Um, and so... Uh, I was making APIs that were restful, so over the web, to say like, like authenticate user, log out user, all, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. A register user, save this to a database. It's very, very basic, rudimentary stuff. And so, I showed them that I could do that, and they're like, "Wow, it's amazing!" They, and they hired me on as a samurai developer because they still didn't really know what I could do, and neither did I. And then from there, like, how was that? You were there for a year and eight months. How was Seattle? During that time, I was afraid of Seattle at first. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, born and raised in San Diego. Beautiful, sunny, seventy degrees, blue skies, San Diego. And Is Se- it, was it a lot of rain there when you were there? Or it was. That's what they say. Hundred percent humidity during the winter, but honestly, the summers are gorgeous. Mm. Uh, you're up in the northern uh, hemisphere, so when it's winter, you wake up, it's dark. You go to work, your work is over, it's dark. <laughs> mm. uh, 
But during the summer, you wake up, it's bright. It's 10 p.m. It's still bright outside. Oh, wow. <laughs> like right now, it's it's uh, probably bright outside. I didn't know you still got that up in Seattle like that. Oh, yeah. Summers are gorgeous. Uh, but winters are 100% humidity. Hmm. And so it's just it's light rain. Heavy rain down here. It's light, light rain. Thick mist. <laughs> That's funny. It's like it's like walking through the sprinkler or the someone misting the the water hose on you or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know you don't see a lot of people carrying umbrellas because it didn't really rain that hard. So yeah. everybody's kind of tufted out with a with a coat on. I've been up there before, but I went up there for like a trade show. I think it was like PAX. One of the Man, PAX, PAX shows. is up there. Uh, PAX West. Have uh, you been to any of those trade shows up there when you were there? Or? I never. Went I think to they them. were popular then. The only thing I I did up there was a, a good friend of mine from Your Coastal Community College, uh, Aaron Jacobs. And Aaron Jacobs, if you ever watch this. Uh, Ah, it was, uh, it was wonderful getting to work with him. He was always the better programmer uh, at Mircosa Community College, and I always wanted to like try harder and try harder. And he was always better. <laughs> Were you guys in the same year or? Yeah, same year, same classes. So we took a lot of our classes together, mm -hmm. and so we had a lot of fun like making games, uh, like our computer science programming uh, projects that we'd have for the end of semester. We always worked really hard. So I feel like we kind of tried to outdo each other. Uh, but that's he awesome. was he was always really good. He it's works good to have that competitiveness in school like that with a friend. That's awesome. I loved it. It was some of the best years of my life. That's uh, awesome. And uh, he's at Double Fine now. Oh, cool. You, yeah. So you guys still keep in touch now, or not as not much, so much as I'd like? Well, to. you have to send him the link. That's awesome. Um, so he, he's at Double Fine, and uh, I I saw on like I think Facebook or something that he's in Seattle. And I was like, what the heck, man? I'm in Seattle. What are you doing? And he invited me to one of their after parties for PAX. And uh, so I got to meet everybody from Double Fine. And I think uh, Gang Beasts was still in development, but we got to play a demo there. So that was super cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, but never, never did any of the events. I was a really bad, uh, like, tourist. I never did any of the touristy stuff. You didn't do any of the E3 stuff either when you were in California? No. No, I, uh, the only thing I've done in California is Comic-Con. But otherwise, mm -hmm. my, my bread and butter is... Uh, going to uh, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. I yeah, those are in January, right? Early January. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I love doing that. I used to go on behalf of uh, a company my mother started called Aura Technic. Uh, and I was I was the CTO of that too, but I put that on there because we didn't really get to do anything. <laughs> mm. um, but we, we used that as our title to get into the trade show for the Consumer Electronics Show. And we, did that, and we do that almost every year. I think this last year was the first year that I intentionally did not go. Oh, wow. That's pretty consistent. Yeah, Are you going in this January coming up? Maybe. It really depends on what tech's around. If you yeah. go right now, it's just a lot of the same VR. Or maybe right. Like People are still learning, so it's still a, an open gambit for what's yeah. really hot. Yeah. I think when you go to a trade show so many years in a row, the, uh, the joy of like when you first go to that trade show and – yeah. Like I remember going for the first the first year and like Linus Tech Tips was there and I was just like these people like these are like my my YouTube idols my goodness uh, that was actually really exciting um, but yeah it's a uh, it's not as exciting as it as it was when I first went I didn't get that that same joy you uh, ever thought about like uh, setting up shop and having like a little booth there and like, <laughs> like either talking about something or you know selling something selling some of your creations that you like to tinker with and stuff like that or no i always thought i might end up there somehow somewhere or another uh i know um while i was there uh, towards the end of me working at prismic i was kind of looking for something new uh and 
I met some really awesome people over at the Hinge Docs booth. Hmm. And just, I love their product. I'd used their product for a long time. I'm trying to remember when that was. It was, um, let's see, I said March 2016 on there. Yeah. Um, so, you're gonna, so, you, so, so Stuff Mapper, is that what? Is that because you were still in Seattle? Is that I was what you're still in about? Seattle, yeah. So before Stuff Mapper, I applied to Hench Docs because mm-hmm. I I was talking to them. They're like, "Hey, you're like you know a thing or two about a thing or two. Do you want to come to San Francisco and interview?" And I interviewed and I loved them, but I did not fall in love with San Francisco. Ah, uh, yeah, San Francisco and is different. Than it's Seattle it's, and San Diego. Yeah, it's different it's and it, gloomy it's, some days. But then you got the Panhandle. The Panhandle. So. Uh, you never been to the Panhandle or through it? Never been to the Panhandle. Okay, well, you're not missing nothing. It's pretty bad. Yeah. It's pretty bad. <laughs> it's what uh, California has turned into that a little bit in certain areas with all the homeless people. Oh, stuff, that you know? that that Panhandling. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what were you talking about? <laughs> I, 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 thought was, I thought it was like a restaurant name or something. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> the Panhandle. Wow. I think times would be really bad if we actually have a Panhandle restaurant that's just popping off and like you got actual Panhandle where people all are. All the homeless people are there. It's a great that's time. Yeah, so it's so bad. Yeah, they're saying. Uh, while I was there, like, oh, San Francisco's really nice. It looks expensive. Oh, don't step in the puddle. You might step in either a syringe or human exactly. feces. Exactly. And yep. I said, wow, I really don't like that. I'd like yeah. to not have that be my daily routine. Yeah. And uh, they allow it to happen. I mean, it's strange. It's strange. It's very different. And I, I wasn't used uh, I It was hard for me to try to get used to that. And Nobody's though, used to <laughs> that, man. Nobody's used to that. That's like, no one should be living like that. But I don't understand. Like, I don't think we have socially... Uh, and through government and just society, we don't have a good means of taking care of people that fall into that category. I think that's what it is. And then outside of that, people willing to help. Because like you said, you could end up contaminating yourself just going there and just mm. having an accident or whatever. You know, But I think people are afraid of that. Right. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. I think that a lot of people have really good intentions for trying to help. Yeah. And a lot of people, I think, get a get stuck in like committing to something like that yeah. where it's, it's really a lot bigger than I think people intend on like I'm one person I can help thousands of people yeah. and really it's a, a huge effort yeah yeah it is so stuff mapper stuff mapper what so is stuff mapper stuff mapper is and is, you were the CTO of stuff mapper I was and it again I didn't start out that way I started off as a senior software engineer there and I worked up my way to CTO nice uh, so at a prison make I kind of missed out on that I was samurai developer worked my way up to CTO and maintained mm-hmm. that position for my entirety there and Lots of cool things, but nice. uh, being over at Stuff Mapper, same deal. Uh, uh, it was, was an early startup that you were part of. Very or? early startup, uh, very cool idea, environment friendly, uh, good people, and uh, it was a product all about trying to help clean up the streets in Seattle. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot of people that leave furniture and couches and uh, ah, just stuff. I got it on the street, and so, so was that an. Was that an app or something that you guys created it was first? It a mobile or? application and a website. So we used uh, Cordova to make it easy to make a kind of like one code, single code base and multiple platform kind of application since mm-hmm. I was uh, one of uh, two people at the beginning working on it and then ended up being the sole developer of the application. And uh, so, what, so what happened? People would log in, create an account, put their couch on the lawn, take a photo of it, and then say, hey, couch on Stuff Mapper, come buy it it's cost this much and so then it gets posted or what how did how so did that system no work buying and so a lot of the stuff is already out there and that's kind of one of the main uh focuses of what they're trying to do they're trying to take the things that are people are already leaving out there so uh mm. a lot of college kids so are coming stuff. through yeah free stuff stuff mapper is all about free stuff and so somebody they notice that some kids left like a, a, a nice quote-unquote nice desk out on the street 
they'll take a picture of it, post it on Stuff Mapper, and let people know that there is this item out there. Um, and they had this concept of dibs where you could go ahead and call dibs on an item. So you can, if you find it and you're like, wow, I really want that, you can say dibs and it'll go ahead and take it off the listing so that you can run over and try to get it. So what happens if you call dibs and someone there else is just taking it and they're not using Stuff Mapper and they're like, yo, I'm, I'm claiming this. What happened then? <laughs> then, then they Fight. got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was really kind of it. That was a, uh, there's a lot of uh, the uh, ideas that were uh, that they had initially in Stuff Mapper, and that was one of the things that they were trying to overcome was the barrier of like, oh, what happens if somebody does this? Uh, what if Stuff somebody... Mapper yeah. DLC Elite yeah. Dueler. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> uh, this person in your area wants to fight you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you uh, won the couch. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, so, and there's, there's no, so there's that opportunity. People also, if they had stuff that they wanted to get rid of. Like, let's say it's at their house and if they have it indoors, they'll post, they'll take a picture of it and say like, hey, I have this nice, whatever the item is, and uh, I don't want it anymore. If you want to come pick it up, like, I don't know if you've ever had this, if you're moving and you're just like, oh, I just don't want this barbecue anymore. Just put on Stuff Mapper and somebody's like, oh, I want that barbecue. You know, it sounds like a safer right? Craigslist, but for all items that are free. Yes, it is Craigslist free items. And we were working on implementing some uh, kind of security features to go ahead and make this the safest experience possible so that way it was we're trying to actually get people from craigslist on our pitch deck we actually had all of the startups that were trying to break away from uh craigslist into separate services so for example you have uh, startups trying to say like everybody uses excel for everything but what if instead of using excel you use this better version of excel <laughs> uh, because you can like you don't have to use Jira, you could just use Excel, mm -hmm. but Jira is better, objectively. Uh, so that's the same thing with Stuff Mapper. Stuff Mapper wanted to take the target audience in the Craigslist and uh, apply an application specifically for that niche. So what happened with Stuff Mapper? Um, did it get bought out? Did it? Is it still around? Did it get acquired or anything? It, or? It's not around anymore. Uh, after a while, I. I I was having a difficult time maintaining interest in uh, development. And so uh, I kind of started phasing out. I ended up moving to San Diego. Um, moving back home? Yeah, moving back home. And then um, helping, eventually after a while being in San Diego, help onboarding uh, an outsourcer that was kind of taking over the responsibility. And uh, we kind of started losing communication shortly after that because I started working at Daybreak Games. Nice, nice segue. So you were our operational engineer at Daybreak for two years. Yes, OpsEng. So uh, how was that? What, what, what Were all the things that you've done leading up to this preparing you for that? or Because it sounds like you've had uh, a plethora of learning experiences that are very unconventional. Yes. So how <laughs> – how, it's already hard enough to start a business. You have been very lucky to be a part of a lot of startups. Mm -hmm. Um were you able to acquire how to do that from the ground up now or as being a part of it or was it pretty much a secondhand thing of like you were you were with these people when they did their startup and then you were actually helping them become successful like the first guy when you know he actually got bought out the second one you kind of helped them get their project going and then the third one you know you were trying to clean up the streets and stuff so i mean like do you have that as like something in your repertoire of like you're going to continue to start companies or? I have a so passion much? and interest for starting companies. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting to create an idea, have an idea and build that idea up. Mm -hmm. 
and I have like my my secret repertoire of projects that I'm, I kind of keep in my back pocket of mm-hmm. things that I'm interested in working on. Uh, but I, I do enjoy the industry that I'm currently in. Um, what's very interesting, I think, about the operational engineering position over at Daybreak Games is that uh, a lot of what I did as CTO of the other companies was uh, I learned a lot very quickly, and I had to be responsible for a lot of different things, deploying infrastructure, maintaining, and writing services for the infrastructure, writing applications for user-facing uh, clientele, and all that still applied to my position at Daybreak. They had a lot of uh, legacy applications, and they required a lot of maintenance and a lot of administration and a lot of work. Uh, that's where I truly started taking on that kind of like firefighter role where uh, I couldn't help but try to help as many people as I could. Now, was this for the whole studio or was this for like a specific title? Was it for, for like H1Z1 or something or? I was Opsenge with, uh, at the beginning, uh, two other individuals. And uh, I, uh, we did Opsenge for the entire company. So it was, let's see, EverQuest, DCUO, Planetside 2, H1Z1, Just Survive. I'm afraid I might have forgotten one. EverQuest, Ever, EverQuest 2 as well. Um, DCUO, Planetside 2, H1Z1, Just Survive. Yeah. Were there many uh, operational engineers there? Was it, it, it Were you in the same boat just where it was me just and you? two others. Oh, okay. So I did have some people to work with. Uh, I had the great pleasure of working with the mighty Judd Pickell. Um, he was another like a midnight warrior like myself where uh, we put in a lot of hours and we did a lot of work and we had I think a pretty good time we we both were learning a lot while doing our jobs uh, he was uh, he was very inspiring to like keep me going I'm like man that, that Judd guy he works so hard I need to work just as hard as he is uh, yeah. as you might cool. see me up, up late at the office it's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. kind of it's it started at the startups but I think it got really ingrained when I like had my own office at daybreak and I just kind of like lock myself in my office and I'm there all night and the people come in the morning, they're like, oh, you're wearing the same clothes. I'm like, oh, I forgot to go home. <laughs> That's funny. That's what happens when you get all passionate about what you're doing though. That's yeah. cool. So at uh, at Daybreak, for you were there for two years. So did the schooling, I'm trying to see like, what helped you prepare yourself for being operational engineer coming from the CTO statuses? Did you ever think about like, oh, I'm taking a step back? Um, were you just like, oh, this is my break to get into like a, like a bona fide game studio? Because they actually had a lot of success um, yeah. when they got broken off into becoming their own studio. Well, when they became Daybreak Games, they had a lot of great success with H1C1. I think uh, kind of to put it all together, when I was uh, when I came to San Diego, I was I'm looking for a new thing. And uh, a past friend of mine, Steve Milton, was the manager of operational engineering. And... Uh, it was a step down in position and step down in, in pay and title and everything. But uh, I was really interested. I was like, well, you shoot, this is like a full circle. When I worked at the pet store, I wanted to work at Sony Online Entertainment as a Perforce administrator. Uh, future Ryan didn't, uh, didn't be, wasn't able to tell past Ryan that Perforce administration is uh, not fun. <laughs> it's really, really awful. Um, but uh, it was kind of like a, the it all like came round circle and I came back to San Diego and this position at Daybreak Games, which was formerly Sony Online Entertainment, had a position available for me and I had gained enough skill to be able to work there. Uh, I was not properly compensated for the work that I did. 
but in the most end, times one truly isn't. Yeah, <laughs> and I I still I have to say I I had such a blast at Daybreak Games. It was uh, a really awesome surprise to be able to work with such awesome, talented, unique, and interesting people uh, from different disciplines, different backgrounds. Some people are fresh to the company. Some people have been there, you know, almost 18 years. Mm. Uh, and uh, I still to this day, those are some of like the, the coolest, most awesome people I've gotten to work with. That's cool. Do you still keep in contact with them now? Or? I, I try to every once in a while. I'm, I'm not the best at contacting people, but uh, I do uh, I do talk to those guys every once in a while. Uh, I hope that I, I, I don't lose contact with them because they're all amazing. Nice. That's awesome. So uh, now we're back where we started. We're at the tools and automation engineer. So coming from the operational engineer going into what you do now, is there any overlap or over? It's you know, for almost 100% overlap. Okay. Um, so when I, uh, the operational engineering position is more of like an old school title. It's not very modern. Uh, really what I was doing there was tools and automation engineering as well as DevOps engineering. Uh, we got to work with a lot of infrastructure. Um, we got to uh, write a lot of services applications. We worked with every team, core tech, gameplay engineers, and game teams, uh, all of tech ops platform, uh, CSQA, just everybody. Um, and a lot of it was mostly automation, but that's what Opsage was. It was what today's tools automation and DevOps engineers are. Hmm. Um, it's just that Nexon is a very modern, forward-thinking company, and uh, the people who work there are good about picking, <laughs> I guess, titles for people. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of the work that I did overlapped. Um, a lot of the experience that I got at Daybreak carried over to help me uh, secure the position at uh, Nexon, hmm. uh, um, especially given that it's, it was a game studio. I got a lot of really good experience because I had the, uh, the the knack of trying to help as many people as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got to touch a lot of different services uh, at Daybreak, and it helped me learn enough to impress the the very, very intelligent, amazing people at Exxon. That's pretty cool. So it's from just thinking back to our conversation, it sounds like you got a lot of experience from just life experiences um, that kind of helped round you out to be such the conversationalist you are and um, being able to uh, communicate with what needs to be done task-wise on any given job that you're doing and being very knowledgeable too. So it almost makes me feel like, uh, I don't know, like the schooling, like the schooling in the beginning didn't really, I mean, you did learn a lot of programming, it sounds like from what you talked about um, when you did like the the languages and stuff, but it doesn't seem like the schooling for your like in your path that you did um, Helped you as much. I mean it did I don't recall you ever saying anything about how like What you did there, especially going into your next your first jobs It was almost like you were just kind of biding your time or kind of waiting it feels like it, it, it does seem a lot like that I will say uh it was really important that I went to community college and I got the education that I did while I was there uh, because it laid out the fundamentals of programming and uh, programming languages and got me the experience I needed to be able to teach myself. And it sounds like you got it immediately, like with how you said your classes were. Because if you went to a four-year school, I don't think you would have got like the meat and potatoes of what you wanted to learn right away. 
I had some um, just uh, just truly amazing teachers while I was at that school. And uh, I'll be honest, my first semester uh, taking uh, CS 111, Java 1, I didn't pass that class. Hmm. I Now, was, why? I know, I know young I'll, Ryan, as opposed to the Ryan we're talking to right now, is a we had a different mindset on things, but why didn't young Ryan uh, pass that class? Young Ryan screwed around too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I wasn't being as attentive as I needed to be. I wasn't uh, putting as enough focus or determination into the work that I needed to do. Now, were you not taking it serious because it was community college or because the, the peers that were also in class, you know, everybody kind of just came in right out of high school. I, I, that's what I'm assuming when you talk about community college. Most people did. So a yeah. lot of people are still not on that maturity level of understanding like, hey, these are the steps towards you making your future bright. So was it a lot, was it accumulation of that as well, like who you were around? I think I just wasn't mature enough. Um, <clears throat> that was one of the problems I also had when going to Sonoma State University. I was not mature enough. And I, I learned a lot of very valuable lessons while I was there. Hmm. Um, in my first semester at Muir Coast Community College, I got my butt kicked because I just, I couldn't handle it. I was like a disaster. Um, like as far as like, you mean um, in prioritizing your workload and making sure that you, know, you can get your stuff done on time. If I was missing then, classes, I wasn't doing my homework, I wasn't studying. It's just, it's a, it's just a, was, that, was that how it was in high school for you too? Uh, yeah, I got, I got by really easy. I was able to take, uh, whatever class I, I wanted and I was able to do very well in it with very little effort. And mm. so it didn't, just didn't really prepare me. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that before from some people like, um, I don't know what it is. Is that just something like internal that, that does that? Cause the, the people that I've talked to before where they're like, Hey, high school is just a breeze. Like it just came to you. Like it, you, it made sense. But then going into that further education, was like, whoa, reality set in. I didn't learn the things in high school of uh, planning, prepping, and all sorts of stuff that I needed to carry on for college. Like, what was the, where did you finally go, aha, okay, it, uh, it makes all sen- a lot of sense now. So, it, when it first made sense, so coming from high school, I just didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how the world worked. I had like a, my San Diego bubble perception of how the world operated, and boy, was I wrong. I was like, Life kicked my butt a couple times, uh, and I, I truly deserved it. Uh, and then when going to Miracosta Community College, uh, first semester, did very bad. And my teacher, Miss June Porto, who is to this day one of the best teachers I have ever had. Uh, they seem to have really cared, it sounds like. like Yes, yes. On a absolutely. personal level between each student instead of just grouping you as a gr- as like a whole. They were really good at paying attention to the people that they – thought they like the people who were there who wanted to be there that weren't just there because their parents were making them go there mm. and so because miss june porto gave me a little extra attention and kind of was like oh you're like you're this close you're really smart and you you could do this but if you don't do your homework you're not going to be able to learn this kind of stuff it's, a, it, it's yeah. a new language come on and uh so i tried again the next semester and made some really good friends and i realized that uh me just doing this on my own wasn't the most practical solution. And mm. uh, I was asking a couple of people, I remember talking to one friend next to me and I said, hey, you seem to really get this stuff. Can I buy you a burger and we can like talk code? And he's like, you don't have to buy stuff, what? <laughs> and 
that was that was the beginning of a very beautiful friendship and uh helped me he, we studied together we became good study buddies and we started growing a group of these guys that all were very passionate about trying really hard to be really good and we kind of had that competitive nature against each other to kind of like keep on pushing ourselves and that that was like the beginning of some of the best years of my life it was really right there when I wasn't doing well in community college and I met these guys and they were motivated I became motivated we were all motivated and we just kind of pushed through it and Shoot, I remember uh, taking data structure and architecture types, uh, CS 113. And uh, when I completed my final, I handed it to the teacher and I was like, I got 100%. Like, I, there's, I, there's, there's not a question I missed. And I remember him looking at it and he's like, oh, yeah, that's uh, you did. And I was like, oh, okay, well, see you next semester. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it took a long time. It was really difficult to get to that point. But, uh, yeah, having that, that community of, early on developers who were all learning at the same time just was extremely fun to learn together to grow together to get better together to get through these classes and do well and i uh, just again best years of my life i loved it um so th through all that learning the fundamentals of programming uh all the concepts subtraction polymorphism inheritance generics whatever uh that all helped me be a better self-teacher for moving on to different programming languages because the concepts stay the same, the syntax changes and some of the logic changes, but it's primarily the same. And so, yeah, it's just that's awesome. went from there. That's pretty cool. That's cool, man. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, these days are going towards community college to start. So now it does sound like um, not, not only did community college like prepare you for the languages and understanding, you know, how to um, have a, a better perception of how to educate yourself on the languages. It sounds like your college uh, background was more of like uh, just helping you mature a little bit more. I as blossomed. Opposed to, yeah, you you blossomed uh, in in college. So it sounds it sounds like that's what that was there for, and that that definitely helped you because you know start going to those startups like you were a one man crew. You were with another person at the but. I don't know if people understand there's a lot of work that goes into doing something by yourself and now you you're on a two-man wrecking crew for a new startup you there's a lot of responsibility there like you can tell immediately if someone's dropping the ball or not able to do the things they say they can do because it's a two-man team yes <laughs> yes uh for for prismic uh especially that was a, a really that was a learning experience for a lot of people it was a lot of people's like first time having uh called a big boy job for now uh, those are all our first big boy job, hmm. and uh, I really exclusively worked with worked with one other person, uh, uh, Gorus from Belgium. Uh, super cool guy, really liked him, uh, but he was not as available as I was, and so that's when he was a CTO, and I ended up actually becoming the CTO in his place, um, and we ended up having to look for more talent. So it ended up just being me, myself, and I for a good while, uh, but we had like. A, my good friend Bryce Harlan, who's up in New York working at more startups because he's just that kind of guy too. He kind of do everything, jack of all trades, master of everything. And uh, so it's, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you, you know when somebody's dropping the ball. You can tell when there's a weak point in the system. Uh, and we ended up growing the team, I think the, the largest in terms of engineering, I think it was uh, four, or no, sorry, four to eight. I think it was eight at its biggest. And that was like we had like 
people working on analytics to try to show to investors. We had backend systems, pipelines for getting the products into uh, the 3D form that they needed to be in so that we could display them in WebGL. Uh, we had people working on the viewer, uh, the different experiences that we could have in the viewer, like points of interest, working with clients, integrations. So there's a lot of work to do, and uh, I surely couldn't do all that by myself. So uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to actually work with a lot of people and uh, kind of get every, we all worked together to make that happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I guess uh, that one was like, kind of like the exception because we had a lot of people that ended up touching the product. Um, but a lot of it uh, would be on my own. Did you do the hiring of those people too, like for interview skills and so on? Like, or did you guys like use a management group that would outsource the HR and do the hiring for you and then just introduce you guys to the people you worked with? We did all the hiring ourselves at uh -huh. Prismic and actually every startup that we've done. Um, it's a lot of, I know this person that does this thing or, uh, you know. So you know a friend of a friend type thing. Yeah, because how did that go? I mean, because it sounds like you did get a lot of life experience when you had to interview somebody. How did that? How did that go over? Or were you like, "Hey, everything looks good. Uh, I think you all want you on the team." Blah blah blah. You know. I think that uh, at the beginning of me interviewing people, I remember being very judgmental because I didn't really know what to expect. I guess I didn't know too much about interviewing myself, and I was, I, I was a bad interviewer. I think, uh, but I tried to keep it really casual, very startupy. Uh, uh, take people to lunch and yeah, talk over lunch. So it's like not, not, con not conventional, uh, a lot of like, uh, so hey, it's very casual, very like casual. just to know the person and not the skill set, right? Yeah. It sounds like. There's, there's that part of it. Uh, I liked doing, uh, like take home projects where it's like, Hey, here's like, like, like I want you to come up with an idea and then I'd like you to implement it in whichever way you best see fit. And, uh, I remember the first guy we hired, uh, uh, Nathan, he, we, we we did exactly that where we said, hey, come up with an idea and then implement it. And so he came up with an idea. Um, he explained how he wanted to do it. He broke it down really well. And then he started implementing it. He kind of updated us on his progress. Uh, by the end of the deadline, he didn't finish it, but that's not really what we were trying to get. What was he doing to update it? What, what was he using the code? Was he using the, some of the APIs you're talking about earlier? Or so what? he wrote it from scratch. It was uh, something that he wrote in, he wrote it in Node.js. And because uh, we had a lot of Node.js at Prismic, so he uh, he joined in on doing that as well. Um, is it was is like, Node.js still used currently, or Node.js is still it's JavaScript, so okay. it's JavaScript on the back end. Okay. Um, a lot of people use it. A lot of people don't like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because with the just to make sure, like Node.js, a uh, reason why I'm asking because if people are watching and don't know what it is, it's good to know, and especially uh, if they want to go into what you're doing, is that something they need to learn, or you know. Uh, your tool belt or like your tool set that you're going to use really can be developed on your own. Uh, I for really, what works for you, what you find works what best works with for you, or what works best with whatever tools or whatever system you're building. Um, like you don't write a video game in Node.js, you typically write it in C++ or in the case of Unity, C Sharp. Um, so it really depends on like what is performance looking for. Are you doing networking? Uh, is there a language that's already preferred for that type of project? Uh, so you end up learning what works best for you and what works best for what you're trying to build. And so I, I keep myself very diverse where I'll do like build systems in Python. I like doing desktop applications in Electron, which is Node.js, uh, so a lot of JavaScript. Um, I'm still right, right now I'm working on being better at C++ so that way I can write uh, better, more performant backend systems. Uh, 
So it really, it really depends on what you're trying to build. Uh, it seems like I know sometimes jack of all trades is thrown around within people's careers and it's not really a good thing, but it seems like in what you do, being a jack of all trades is highly beneficial because of putting out fires, but also understanding the diverse uh, set of tools that you have in order to approach different situations or issues because one may be more, um, uh, maybe the better choice to fix an issue or resolve an issue as opposed to just sticking to your guns and be like, well, we started this in this certain type of API or whatever. And you're like, we're going to stick to this. And then you're like, this isn't working. You yeah. Know? Um, uh, if you don't mind me kind of during to daybreak games, a little bit of a couple lessons learned from working there. They used a lot of legacy systems and it was written in C++ and it will die in C++. And was that because of proprietary tools? So many proprietary tools. Everything mm -hmm. is, it's video game development industry. The video game development industry is notorious for uh, build it in-house. In-house is better. Is in-house more like outhouse? Am I right? Well, you know why they <laughs> want to do that, right? Um, so they want to do that because they think they can do it better uh, and, and make a lot of money I, off I, of it. I feel like that's like pretty spicy to say. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's but that's not just for that studio. A lot of a lot of companies do that, but I think a lot of companies do that with the intent on they're making proprietary tools they to go with their engine. Money. They think it will work better with integrations. But they, they also want to license it. You know, a lot of places I've been, they, they're like, ooh, this is this worked great for us. If we license it, we can make even more money, you know, <laughs> which is a weird way of approaching it. Like a lot of, a lot of people do have like that intention initially you know? where they're saying like, oh man, I have this like great idea. Like, you know what we have a problem with? host monitoring. I'm going to write host monitoring software. It's going to be the best. I think I, I did this. This is like me making fun of myself. It's like, <laughs> we're going to make this new software. We're going to deploy it. We're going to kill and cripple Nagios and all those other old school things that everybody's using. We're going to change the industry. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to do that. Uh, you know, you work at a, at a company legal wants to step in and say like, no, 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 like you can't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, don't open source that. Don't share that with anybody. We don't want to license that. It's going to be a legal nightmare. Uh, so, I think a lot of people have the intent of like building something great. Like I'm going to make a game engine and we're going to deploy it and it's going to make us all this money, but it's, it's not usually going to do that. I don't yeah. think, um, I think there are exceptions like, uh, uh, Epic has a very good game engine, for example, yeah. and they wrote it for themselves and they wrote it for everybody else. And, uh, that's, that's what we're using and we're sticking to it. That's not, not great in my opinion, but it's the best right now. So yeah. that's, <laughs> that's what we do. Have you ever, um, because of your technical background, you ever done like TechCrunch? You know what TechCrunch is? You ever heard of TechCrunch? Um, it it's like, it's almost, it's not like CES, but it's like where a lot of people have ideas or they created something. Like game jams? It's almost like a game jam, but it, you don't, I don't think you do it there. You do it before you go. It's almost like you're submitting your game jam to be evaluated by professionals or something. And then you can win mm -hmm. prize money or you can win notoriety and stuff like that. Oh, I, th I think I see what you're saying. There's, um, there was a project recently where uh, some guys used uh, simple technology to go ahead and create like a mesh network mm -hmm. uh, to help. Uh, and they would they would put it into this tech crunch and then people would evaluate it and talk about it. And, you know, they display it. Sometimes people would have like a working version of whatever it is and yeah, show it off. Yeah. They have, they have you can get investors from stuff like that. Yeah. It seems like um, that'd be something up your alley. Like, yeah, that's it's something that I'm always interested. I don't have I don't devote a lot of time outside of work to currently do. yeah currently currently yeah. i'm trying i'm trying to fix that uh i think anybody that knows me is like he's a liar <laughs> um yeah no I, i'm trying to fix that uh, i'm actually really interested in game jams uh 
I think I actually really want to get into trying to get better at game development so I can, you know, participate in those because I, I have some friends that like to do the game jams. I had a friend that just got a, for Global Game Jam, they won most creative game. And I was, oh, I, was, I wish I could have worked on that project awesome. with you. I don't have the, the skill set yet. Uh, and so that's why I'm kind of going back to like the fundamentals of programming and trying to make sure that I have my fundamentals down in a C++ so that way when I move into Unreal Engine and I'm doing a C++ and Unreal Engine that I'm not gonna just be all aboard the, the struggle bus. Mm. No, that's cool. Yeah, I think those things are important because when most times you hear about people who win those type of shows or um, uh, awards, like they end up getting gobbled up by like Valve or somebody, <laughs> some kind of company that uh, really fosters that creativity. Yeah, and they'll, they'll get the whole like team. Money. Yeah, they'll, they'll they'll get the whole team and be like, oh, we want to get you all here. And then they'll kind of absorb them into the fold of what they're trying to create. And then magic happens after that. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of indie games are born, I think. And uh, I do love indie games. Uh, uh, what are you playing? What are you playing that's indie game right now? Oh, indie games right now? Shoot. Uh, I mostly am playing, like, a, if I look at, like, a games that I'm playing there, indie games, uh, Dead Cells is technically an indie game, small, small studio in Europe, a couple You know, people. I just heard about that today, hmm. Dead Cell. Like, I watched a video on it. I didn't know what it was. It looks really cool. It's uh, it looks really a, cool. an unconventional Metroidvania roguelite that's... Yeah. It's the uh, one where you the dying is not that doesn't mean it's the end. You have this whole other side of the game, The right? concept of permadeath in uh, any roguelite game, uh, roguelike being uh, the games like Rogue back uh, mm -hmm. like uh, um, like ASCII games, you know, uh, where I guess you're like, you're like a pound symbol going through uh, randomly generated, uh, procedure generated maps. Uh, so there's like a, for roguelites, there's like a fundamental set of rules. One of the most popular ones is permadeath. I don't know if you've heard like Binding of Isaac, Enter the Gungeon, Rogue Legacy. Um, there's a whole slew of games that are excellent that people have made that are uh, these roguelite games. Is Dead Cell multiplayer? Dead Cells is a single player game. Um, it's a side-scroller kind of hack-and-slash, again, Metroidvania roguelike game where uh, at the very beginning it seems a little cruel, but you kind of figure things out and you realize that it gets a lot harder very quickly. Uh, the progression of the game, I, th I, just, I just I just love that stuff. That's awesome. I didn't know it was roguelike, though. I thought it was just like that Castlevania, Metroid, you just yeah. run around they're, they're, killing it, stuff, it getting powerful. It has a lot of those concepts. So there's Because there's a lot of ways to grow in your power and your strength in that game. And the they, they, they did such a good job. I yeah, think. the art's beautiful too. I love that art. They actually took shortcuts to make their art. They used Blender and then mm. exported it to like pixelized mm -hmm. uh, frames. So that way it was like they did the same thing for Bastion. Uh, another oh, just wonderful title. I loved Bastion so much. Uh, WB Games. Um, but yeah, they, they made everything in Blender as 3D models. And then so instead of drawing it frame by frame, they rented out each of the frames, and then that was their sprite sheet. That's how we used to do it back in the day on um, handheld games like Game Boy and yeah, DS uh, and stuff like that. Make Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a uh, way more efficient way of working because you just get your camera set up, and you get your little bounding box where you know you don't want to go outside this. We were doing like the 32 by 32 pixel stuff for right. some of the games. So oh, we're man. like, <laughs> keep, you know, here's your box. And then you're like, wait, that's my character? And it's pretty cool. I remember there was um yeah. <laughs> there was a game I worked on. It was one of Spider-Man games where like I I was the lead on that project, and I uh I was like, man, if it's gonna look all pixelated like this, I started drawing on top of it, um because all they're, all it's taking is the data the pixels. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't like it took the joints like in Unreal how 
you know, when you export something, it needs the joint data, it needs the mesh. It just took the colors from your palette. Yep. Your, you know, I think we were doing like um, some of them were really small palette, like maybe sixteen, or uh, if depending on the type of game, we would do not even two fifty six. Like that was still a lot. Oh, like man. 128 was like the max on some of the boss characters because they had more bells and whistles. We're talking yeah. about back in the day. Yeah, I know, I know, I know what you're talking but it's about. The, but <laughs> we approached it the same way. We're using 3D Studio Max, um, and we just found our camera angle, got everything in there. But then I started drawing the stuff on there because uh, with Venom, I was like, I want it to be different. And so like I drew him like turning into the big teeth and chomping down because there was no way to get that to work well in 3D. Mm -hmm. And so I, I drew it by hand and I did a, a few more things like that. I remember my, my bosses at the time were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And it got like it did really well and everything. But they were like, holy crap, dude. Um, they wanted to do more stuff like that. But um, it didn't really come together because, like, I remember they put us all in a room and we're like, all right, come up with some ideas. You know, you're not a character. You're you maybe you're a water droplet or you're a ball. Or you're this, <laughs> and this like it was it was like and we were sitting there looking at each other like what? Uh, um, trying to think outside the box. Yeah, that's what they. That's pretty much that's pretty much what they were saying. Like think outside the box and you know just be creative. But they were like, you did a good job with drawing that stuff. We need to make some more games like that because no one's doing it. Da 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 da. da you know, and um, it would have been awesome, but I don't think I don't think people were ready. Our, their, our minds weren't at that point because we were like, what do you want us to do? It was really strange. There's a lot of exploration back in those days. Yeah. I actually am quite fond of retro games just yeah. because it wasn't so data-driven, you know? It was yeah. more from the heart, I think. You know, somebody, if somebody's like, no, we got to play as a water drop, but they're saying that from their heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy because <laughs> I don't think we understood because he was like, he was like, maybe you're a water drop, and he's on that go. And they literally, like, closed <laughs> us in this room, and we're all sitting there around each other like, we weren't the catalyst behind this. I mean, we we did, we were being creative on our tasks, and that's what led to this. But then we were kind of like, "What do you want us to do?" You know, they just grou they just grouped like I think it was like four designers, uh, myself, uh, a modeler, and a concept guy, and we were all just sitting in this room looking at each other like, <laughs> "What are they? I don't. What is our end goal? What do we need to show them?" You know, and I don't think anyone knew. So, but. That sounds but like that's the birthplace of beautiful things. <laughs> yeah, but they, the company is still around. They still did well. This is when I was at Vicarious Visions. Okay, yeah, cool. It was awesome. So, but that's awesome, man. So, um, what are some of the things that you would, because you have more life experience uh, as your guide to becoming successful, uh, what are some of the things you would uh, like to leave for people to understand or try to uh, go towards this because becoming a tools or automation engineer this will actually help you um and it's not about you looking back and going like i should have did this or regrets because it sounds like you had a pretty nice uh oh, everybody has regrets yeah everybody well <laughs> no but everybody has a different story and a different path to becoming successful and finding the joy in what they do but it seems like um you may be able to look back and guide others in a way of saying like you know this this and this may be more beneficial because what i gathered so far from our conversation there's a lot of things that i didn't know about you um i knew you were like the cto of something you brought it up at, you know in conversation one time before but i didn't know the extent of it but um what i have learned tonight is that that you know you're very knowledgeable in a lot of different languages a lot of different things and tools and you know 
APIs and NGO, all this stuff. <laughs> I didn't like. I've heard those things before, but I don't. You know, I don't. I don't dabble in it that deep to understand it like that. Um, but what are some of the things you would leave for people to say, like, hey, this would be great if you're just now, if you're in high school or if you're coming out of high school, this would be great. Uh, if you're getting ready to go to college, even if you're going to community college, look for these courses. Like, what are some of the things that you would tell young Ryan? You know, if you're able to look back oh, right yeah. when he's right when right when he's uh, getting ready to fill his application to go, don't what do some it, of, <laughs> don't do it. What are some of the things that you would say um, that would be helpful? You think? Um, shoot, what do I tell young Ryan? Young Ryan kind of sucked. Uh, so I, I don't know if anything I told him. I don't think he listened to me. <laughs> but uh, one, I'd say some of the most valuable lessons that I learned is that I learned how to learn. And that's something that I, surprisingly enough, did not learn in high school. Uh, but I most certainly was forced to learn how to learn quickly and efficiently in community college. And so learning how to study, learning about dedication, uh, and really seeing how putting the time in really pays off. Uh, how how would a person, like you said, you know, you're in high school, you kind of, you skated by with great grades, it just came easy to you. How, if you're looking back, how would a person know to acknowledge that, to to be able to go, whoa, I'm not learning what I need. I, obviously, at that age, you don't think about nothing. it. <laughs> well, at that age, I don't think you think about it, but looking back, was there any moments that you can think of where you were like, this is too easy, or am I really retaining this? You know, is there any moments like that you can recall or is there anything that, because if someone's watching this that is in high school and they're getting by easy, you know, they may go down the same path that you went down where you're like, you're getting ready to go to college. You're like, oh my God, college is hard. You know, what are some of the things that, that you should look out for if you fit that bill of like, hey, high school is easy. I'm making all A's and, you know, I should probably reevaluate some things. Uh. I guess the one thing I would look back at is, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I played a, a lot of uh, MMORPGs, uh, and it's not exactly the best use of my time. I sure liked uh, the time, but it's not the best use of my time. Uh, and while being very dedicated to these MMORPGs, I was still maintaining good grades in college, or in college, in high school, uh, which I think that should be like a huge red flag, because I'm not trying in school, but I'm doing very well, and I'm dedicating more time to this MMORPG. Uh, so if let's say you're an avid PUBG Fortniteer, anyone who still plays H1C1, I'm sorry, uh, you know, uh, taking that attention and that focus and putting it viable life skills, because uh, nowadays, you know, with with these series of tubes and webs and such called the internet, we are we have so much knowledge and so much data available at our fingertips to so just be able to go to Udemy and spend ten dollars on learning rust learning c learning golang you know whatever you want to learn you can go out there learning you want to be an architect uh, i was looking at uh, some architecture courses just last week uh on um plural site so there's learning resources online that you could dedicate your time to so while you're going to school you can do that there's a lot of things you can do to better your better the time that you have uh, before you get into college so you can maybe experiment a little bit uh, for those who are interested in computers see if that's what you want to do uh, anybody can do computer science, but computer science isn't for everybody. And it seems like uh, with that knowledge, that is the best time to do that. Because when you get older, you can play games all you want, especially if you're able to take care of yourself and make a really good living. And 
you don't have to worry about, oh, I got homework or, or I got this or I got that. You can really enjoy life, you know, if, you know, from what I know, you can enjoy life now as opposed to when you're still living with mom and dad or whoever's raising you and you're like taking advantage of playing games all the time, even though there's nothing wrong with that. But we're talking about those individuals who we're we're trying to help those people who when they get ready to go to college, if high school was easy, you there's a there should be some red flags you should kind of make yourself aware of because you, you want to mitigate that before you get to college. You don't want college. College shouldn't be hard. Um, you shouldn't, you shouldn't want it to be difficult. It's just continued learning. But there's like what we talked about already tonight, which is the maturity. You know, everybody has their own maturity level when they get to it, they reach that cap. Uh, and it still grows as you get older. But, um, but I think that's really important what you said about like, if you're, if you notice that you're have a lot of time to put into games and, you notice that you're not really doing much in school, but you're doing great with your grades. That is a huge red flag. Yeah. I feel like, you know, like if I told that to pass me, I, I would not respond so kindly mm-hmm. and be like, well, screw you. I'm, I'm playing games. I'm having fun. And yeah. you know, I, I look back and I'm like, Oh man, I really like playing those games. I had a really good time generally playing those games. Um, and you meet a lot of people playing games like that. So it, that's what oh, I'm saying. Yeah. It's not a bad thing, but I did it with friends, you know, it was a very collective, very social experience for me. Cause I was, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, more introverted uh so you mean then right <laughs> i don't i don't think you're i don't think you're i don't think you're like that now i will i don't think so uh i'm pretty vibrant in the workplace i think uh-huh. uh oh so <laughs> when you when you get to work you're a different person and when you leave the work you're like oh like oh my god stare at my shoes i had no the sun i love this one we go hiking man um where do you go hiking at Oh, we go, uh, we've been doing a, a Black Star Canyon. I just got back from Yosemite. Um, I like doing, uh, in San Clemente, it's called Patriot Hill. Hmm. Uh, my mother calls it Patriot Hell. Now, is this, is this, uh, is this straight up hiking or is this like the rucksack stuff this you're talking about? This is the rucking stuff. Okay. Uh, trying to live a healthier lifestyle. I was a runner. I'm built like a runner, but I'm deadly afraid of following the same fate of my parents and having fake knees. Uh, well, fake knees of the future aren't that bad. I, I certainly <laughs> hope so because uh, <laughs> I think I'm no matter what I do, I'm going to have them. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, running is uh, a bit tough on my knees. So rocking is, I think, like a good, like, intermediary. Like, it's not running. It's not It's not great for your knees, but it's better than running. Now, explain, explain what rocking is. Now, th- now, these are the things that when you get older – and you've already been able to take care of yourself, you can enjoy these activities. Yeah. So what what well, is rucking? If, change over time. I don't I didn't know what yeah, I didn't know what I didn't know it was what rucking was until you explained it to me recently. But what is rucking? So uh this is my IMA novice explanation. Uh uh it is a uh, they practice it in the military. It's being able to carry large quantities of weight over ridiculous quantities of distance and length and time. Uh, really pushing yourself to your human limit. Uh, so uh, our good friend Andy Thorne over at uh, uh, Nexon uh, invited everybody, anybody, to help him practice for a uh, ruck. He was doing a 50-mile star course uh, where I think he was carrying 20 pounds weight, uh, dry weight. I think he said most of it was water and snacks or something like that, oh, right? Yeah, so, yeah, it's 20 pounds dry weight. So it's like it is a sandbag. 
that you cannot get rid of. Everything else is disposable. It's food. It's water. I think for the Star Course, they actually like took your food away, and they would have taken the water away, but they can't because that's illegal. You can't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that ends up being a lot of your weight. Like when I went to Yosemite, I had a, a 20 pound uh, or 15 pound brick in my backpack. And I think I had like 40 pounds of water because <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be that guy that's going to have the water. Someone's going to be like, wow, I'm thirsty and be like, Whoosh, I got some water for you. But uh, that never happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You drank it all yourself, probably. <laughs> no, I didn't drink anything. I just had weight and it was heavy and I refused to drop it. Wow. Uh, how often? So how often do you do the wrecking? Uh, I'm trying to go three times a week. Uh, try to go on the weekends, you know, have a nice good hike on the weekends, you know, go somewhere new. Like uh, I want to go back to Black Star Canyon. I don't think it's going to be as... Uh, as uh, wet as it was last time I went. Uh, that's where the, there's like a seven mile hike. There's a big waterfall at the end. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, but we, I went in like the wet, wet season. So there was a big river and that was kind of a, a hazard. Uh, is it make your own kind of trail kind of thing? Mm. So is it a, is it a slower pace activity? Like, I don't think you're, you should be running with all that extra weight on you. Is it more like walking? You said hiking, so you're going uphill, downhill. Yeah, so yeah. That is on like the Achilles and the knees. Yeah. Oh, I definitely it. feel it in my ankles now more than anything. I never thought about it until it started. It's, it's, burning? It's, it's burning. It's like it's uh Snappage? No, no, no snappage. Uh, no, it's uh, it's like kind of like a, you start feeling pain where you're like, wow, if I keep on doing this, I might injure myself. And so it's been better form, better practice better uh, mm. time between actually doing the activities not pushing yourself too hard uh, andy's number one rule is don't get hurt uh so uh, just trying to make sure that we're all staying safe when we do all these rucking activities together like i during the week i only do like a like just over three miles so doing kind of like a 5k just outside the you know parking lot in the office tuesdays thursdays um special shoes um no? uh, i just have uh, <laughs> uh good running shoes uh just uh, that fit your feet um I have high arches, which sucks a whole lot, uh, but I have nice shoes that make it so that they don't suck so much. Mm. Usually it just means shin splints, which suck. Mm. <laughs> um, and then when I go hiking, like Yosemite, I just try to have really nice hiking boots. Uh, I have waterproof boots that are a lifesaver, especially like uh, at Yosemite. Uh, it was raining while we were hiking and I got drenched, but my feet were dry. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> They just have to have a, a bodysuit that's like that. <laughs> I could I had the option to wear a poncho, and I said I'd look like a fool if I was wearing a poncho, so I didn't wear it. <laughs> You're not supposed to carry people thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it didn't seem very comfortable. I did, it felt like it was going to be like a humidity trap of doom. Um, and so I kept like just the backpack. I had a running shirt on and my hunting pants on, and it was extremely cold. And I was like, mind over body, mind over body. I was very cold and miserable. <laughs> Well, that is awesome, man. Uh, I want to say thank you for uh, coming out and for talking about your story and sharing with everybody um, your experience, your life experiences, and how they've afforded you uh, to be where you want to be in the games industry. It's pretty awesome. Absolutely. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure to be here on the show. Uh, awesome. It's an absolutely great time. It's super fun. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So I hope you guys learned something new. Thanks. Be back soon.